You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how you doing this fine Saturday morning? I'm doing well, man. I am finally recovered from the 18-hour stream. I am barely recovered from the 18-hour <laughs> stream. That was so much fun, but it was exhausting. To be fair, you went in not feeling 100%. Yes, I was pretty under the weather. Probably should not have been streaming, but we gotta give the people what they want. <laughs> people wanted Ben to nearly die. <laughs> um, yeah, that stream was super, super fun. Thank you to everyone who hung out or unlocked achievements for us to be able to do it. Um, it was uh, a really nice excuse to be degenerates for far too long. Yes, that was great. Like getting to cube with you for 18 hours. Like I feel like we really got down into the nitty gritty of what each of us likes to do in cube. I also think it was really interesting as we got more tired and crankier, we started to disagree more in picks. Yes, the last draft was... <laughs> the start the last draft was a mess. I do not remember it. But, like, the start of the day, I felt like we were, like, super flexible and, like, like see, like, I don't know, like, I would make arguments for things. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Or, like, and then by the end of the day, I was just like, no, take this. <laughs> That's wrong. I hate that card. <laughs> the, the last draft, I would say, I think I'm going to take this. And you would say... Mm. <laughs> like you just make a noise like nope that's the wrong pick <laughs> but yeah we smashed it too record wise like up until the last draft when i tanked our record no not you tanking our record we were 19 and 5 on the day right yeah like but we were 19 and 2 prior to that right didn't we lose our last three? Oh, I, do we won two and then i think lost we finished first... a one two and then lost or maybe lost the first match yeah maybe that's I right know. Remember we lost three out of four or something? We were, I think, 18 and two at one point. Yeah, that's that's the best I remember the record being, which is ridiculous. But we are good at cube. We were running pretty well, too. We had a lot of close wins. For sure, right? We didn't face any aggro decks until like the end of the day. Oh, that was also what started happening yeah. to us. I remember that now. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Um, and if you didn't get a chance to hang out, uh, the VOD should be there on Ethan and my channels. If you want to check out uh, like some cube drafts and see us hanging out. Uh, so you can check that out at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. All right, let's get into it. What's uh, what's your trophy leaderboard update looking like? Well, I think we should do a final count for Ixalan, right? Because yeah. next week, set review, Rivals of Ixalan coming right up. believe it. Rivals coming out. Okay, what's the final count for Ixalan? Uh, I had uh, 92 total drafts, didn't crack 100. What a scrub. What a scrub. Ended up with 32 trophies, uh, 184 and 85 overall record, and a 68% win rate. How about you? I did 212 drafts, which may be more than any human being on the planet. My win-loss record was 401 to 218. That's a 65% win rate with 57 trophies. Dang. Oh, you know what we should talk about? What's your, uh, what's your most drafted common, Ben? My most drafted common was One with the Wind, I think, or Bishop's Soldier. It was one of those two. Those were definitely my top two. I think it was One with the Wind. Yeah. Uh, mine was Sailor of Means, which I think sort of lets you know what I was prioritizing there for most of the format. It was like Sailor of Means, Depths of Desire, then Prosperous Pirates, and then Bishop's Soldier, One with the Wind were fourth and fifth. Where did the, do you know where the Sailor of Means count ended up? Uh, over 150, because like one of my last drafts, I got like five of them. <laughs> nice. And to, to give you an idea, I had like around 57 one with the wins or something, like as my most drafted card. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so funny. But it's, that's rare that like, I mean, one with the wind is one of the best commons overall. And it's rare to have that be your best common or your most drafted common, you know? I think it's because you and I, with the help of like Ryan and Sasha, identified it way earlier on than most people were doing it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, how about Vintage Cube? How's that going for you? Vintage Cube, I was so sad to see I haven't done more drafts than you this week. You just couldn't let me have it. I've got 21 drafts, eight trophies in those 21 drafts, a 44 and 19 overall record, and a 70% win rate. So quite a bit back up from my rough start last week. You're a beast. Uh, yeah, I have six trophies in 23 drafts. 45 and 24, 65% win rate. I have 03'd twice, which I am not proud to say. Oof. Yeah. Ouch. With a, a storm deck that just couldn't get there and uh, and Jund stuff, which is not a deck I would recommend to anyone. I almost 03'd on stream, and I was I have never been happier about one doing. We celebrated hard when I got that, <laughs> that win in the third round. Yeah, that's nice. All right, well, we have a lot 
to get through today. We got some cube goodies. We've got to finish off Ixalan right, maybe take a, a peek at 2017 in review. But before we do all that, we want to shout out our new patrons for the week. Yes, that is right. We do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It is a way for you to give back to the podcast if you so choose. Um, we have some sweet perks on there for you. You get access to our Lords of Limited Discord channel. Uh, you can get access to our show notes before the show comes out. We also record a little pre-show behind the scenes with uh, Ben and I planning out the episode. So you get that on different tiers, and you also get shouted out on the podcast. So this week we want to make sure we recognize Mary, Tim, Kaylee, and Ken. Thank you all so much for joining the fray. We really, really appreciate your support. We can't express how much it means to us. Yes, thank you so, so, so much. And everybody that's in the Discord, cheers to you guys. It's been a blast hanging out in the Discord. Absolutely, yeah, really, really liking it. All right, Ben, so we've, we're going to do something that we I don't think we've ever done before. We're going to do a cube draft dive on the roundtable. Are you ready to have a seat? I am. This is going to be awesome. Okay, so we are going to try and do like uh the cards in contention i mean it's sort of tough to do that in cube because preferences lead people to value things very differently but i'll sort of give you so as to to save time we won't be reading every card because we do have to read all the text of them but gonna run down as many of the cards that pop out to me as i i think are relevant okay so pack one pick one cards in contention are control magic Two blue blue for the enchantment aura enchant creature you control enchanted creature. Uh, Mere Battlesphere, which is seven colorless mana for a four seven artifact creature. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you get four one one mirror, and then when it attacks, you can tap any number of mirror you control or untapped mirror you control. For each one you do so, it deals damage to your opponent and it gets plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. Uh, Marsh Flats, that's the white black fetch land. Nahiri the Harbinger, that's two red-white for a Planeswalker with four loyalty, plus two to you may discard a card, then draw a card, uh, minus two, destroy target enchantment, tapped artifact, or tapped creature, and minus eight is search your library for an artifact or creature card, put it into play, it gains haste until end of turn, and then at the end of turn you return it to your hand. Hazareth the Fervent, if you're trying to do the mono red life. Three and a red for the 5-4 indestructible haste, Scourge of Standard. Hedron Archive, four colorless for the artifact, taps for two generic mana, and two tap, sacrifice it, draw two cards. I guess also we should name Path Exile, that's the one white exile target creature at instant speed, and then its controller can find a basic land to put it into play, tapped. Yeah, the, the power level's pretty flat here in this pack. Like, there's no cards that really stand out to me, so I think there's a ton of different directions you could go in the pack here. I would also consider naming Elvish Mystic, although it's maybe a little early to take take an elf. I think if it's like Birds of Paradise, Noble Hierarch, or Derogatory Speaker, I'm okay, but taking just a, a random elf first feels a little below the rest of the pack. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Path to Exile, I love. I think those effects, Path and Swords to Plowshares, are irreplaceable in the cube, and it's very important to have one of them in your deck if you're playing white or have access to white mana. Hedron Archive is Artifact Ramp, which we talked about in the, the Cube Crash course, is very good. Mm -hmm. But I think it's on the worst end of the Artifact Ramp because it's so expensive. Uh, it's kind of what you want after you've got some Signets or a Mana Vault or a Soul Ring or something. Mm -hmm. Control Magic is great, but a little less good in the Vintage Cube because a lot of the best decks aren't creature-centric. But still, you're never cutting control magic from your deck. Battle Ball's a great, like, generic target for reanimator, like a tinker target, castable at seven mana. I think it's one of the best artifact threats in the cube. Mm -hmm. Marsh Flats, obviously great. Fetches and lands. Even knowing how good fetches and duels are, I've been struggling to make myself pick them highly enough. Yeah. And I know how good they are. So uh, that would be very much in contention for me here. Nahiri is great. One of the most versatile planeswalkers in the cube. She often wheels, I've found. Yeah. Or at least has a reasonable chance of wheeling. So I think uh, that's something to note with her there. And Hazaret is just a bomb in the mono red deck. Like one of the best finishers you could have in your four drop slot for sure. But I might try to wheel that and to see if mono red's open rather than like first picking it and praying that mono red is open. Yeah. So for me, I would narrow it down to uh, Marsh Flats, Nahiri, Path to Exile, and Control Magic, I think. And then I'd probably narrow it down again to Marsh Flats and Path to Exile. like the So the fetch land and the exile target creature effect for single mana. And I think I'd settle on Marsh Flats just because like none of these cards really push me in a direction. And Marsh Flats leaves me the most open uh, in the future to take advantage of whatever duels I might see. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think I agree with Marsh Flats. Uh, I might also shout out Battlesphere. I just value Battlesphere. It's so versatile. Like it goes. Yeah, I name that. Yeah, it goes in like any 
deck. Like you talked about, like it's a tinker target. You can reanimate it. It's just like you ramp into it with artifact mana. It really does a ton of stuff and, and slots into many different kinds of decks very easily. And threats in cube, I think, that make bring bodies with them with yeah. an ETB trigger are a lot more valuable than ones that don't because even if they eat a removal spell, you're still left with four mirror running around. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think like objectively Battlesphere is what I would take here, but yeah, Flats and Path are, are great too. I, I grabbed Nahiri out of this pack. I was just, I was on stream and, and I think we had come off of a deck, I think like an artifact deck that had Battlesphere in it. So I was, I was trying to do something different. I hadn't drafted the red-white control deck that I like a lot in the format. Uh, so I wanted to sort of give myself a shot at, at doing that. And Nahiri is just so good in those decks. She is. So that's what I grabbed there. So moving on to pack one, pick two, there's not much to discuss. Uh, we got past the channel, which is the green, green sorcery. Until end of turn, you can uh, pay life to create generic mana. So it's really good at like cheating out a big colorless spell. Like chat was sort of berating me about how good it would have been had we just taken Battlesphere. But that that's pretty clear pick there. I think some cards to note that are in the pack are Sulfuric Vortex, which is the one red-red enchantment that deals two damage to each player on their upkeep and players can't gain life, sort of like the best mono red card. Uh, there's a Signet, and there is Deceiver Exarch, which is two and a blue for the 1-4 with Flash that combos with Splinter Twin or Kiki Jiki because it, when it comes into play, can untap a permanent, so it's part of that infinite combo. So those are sort of cards that I, I want to like keep in mind that exist, but I think it's a pretty clear channel here. I agree. So moving on to pack one, pick three. Pretty weak pack here. Cards in contention. Polluted Delta, that's the blue-black fetch land. Godless Shrine, that's the white-black shock land. Sylvan Carry added, one and a green for the 0-3 plant creature with Defender and Hexproof, and it taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Uh, Sower of Temptation, that's two blue-blue for the 2-2 creature with flying. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you gain control of target creature for as long as Sower of Temptation remains in play. Um, I guess there's like a young pyromancer, one in a red for a 2-1. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a 1-1 red elemental creature token onto the battlefield. And a sort of scourge of storm decks and players playing draw sevens everywhere. Leovold, Emissary of Trest, that's Sultai, black, green, blue for a 3-3. Each opponent can't draw more than one card per turn, and whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. Yeah, I think the best card on this pack in raw power level is Leovold. Yeah. That card has been a house on my side of the battlefield and my opponent's side of the battlefield. But after just picking Channel, Channel really wants to go into a heavy green deck so mm -hmm. that you can cast it on turn two. So I would probably narrow it down like pretty quickly to the two lands and Sylvan Carry added. Mm -hmm. um, Sylvan Carry added obviously matching up with my channel really well, but I don't know for certain that I'm going to end up in a channel deck. Mm -hmm. um, like you gotta, you really want to open some Eldrazi or Sundering Titan or something busted to channel out on turn two. I think I would hedge a little bit and take Polluted Delta. A lot of times the channel decks end up wanting to be blue-green anyway, and Polluted Delta gives you the opportunity to snap up a breeding pool or a tropical island, the blue-green duels, down the road. So I think I would land on Polluted Delta, but Sylvan Carry Added is also very close there for me. Yeah, I, I landed on the Carry Added just for, like, I don't know, signaling purposes and trying to, like, really cut green so that channel was a very easy turn one or turn two play in my deck. But I think Polluted Delta is very, very defensible and very close in contention there as well. So moving on to pack one, pick four. We've got a number of, of powerful options here. Um, there's our one of our favorite cards, Wildfire, four red, red, sorcery. Each player sacrifices four lands. Wildfire deals four damage to each creature. Um, there's Elves of Deep Shadow, which is the green 1-1. One, one. It taps for black mana and deals the damage to you. Riftwing Cloudskate, three blue-blue for a 2-2 two, two flying creature. When it enters the battlefield, you bounce a permanent, and it has to spend three for one and a blue. There's Eternal Witness, one green-green for the 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, you may return target creature card from your... Er, not target creature card, target card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, there's Umazawa's Jite, which is two colorless for the most busted equipment ever. When equipped creature deals damage, period, you put two counters on Jite, and you can remove a counter to do one of the following things. The equipped creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or you gain two life. Fun fact, Jite against Harsh Mentor is not great. Because not <laughs> only does the equip cost deal you two damage, but each activation... Deals you two damage? My, I was like, sacrifice this, minus one, minus one to Harsh Mentor. Why is there a trigger going on in the stack? <laughs> that was not fun. Uh, smokestack, 
One of our, our one of my favorite cards, four colorless for an artifact. <laughs> Daggers. What? You've just already decided that I've abandoned Smokestack based on our 18-hour stream. Yeah, you're off it. Our favorite card? No, my favorite card. Ben doesn't get to claim this anymore. <laughs> ben doesn't get to claim it. It's, it's mine. No. Uh, you can add, do what do you want in on Do you want it on this I, I, want, I want in on it, yeah. Okay. One of our favorite cards, uh, four colorless for an artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a soot counter on Smokestack, and at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player sacrifices a permanent for each soot counter on smokestack uh sphinx of the steel wind five esper five white blue black for a six six sphinx with a boatload of abilities flying first strike vigilance lifelink pro red pro green and jace the mind sculptor the greatest planeswalker two blue blue for a three loyalty with too many abilities plus two to fate seal zero to brainstorm minus one to unsummon and minus 12 to well you'll never get there but win the game yeah, there's a lot of good cards in that pack. Two of them kind of stand out uh, head and shoulders above the rest to me based on pure power level. And those are Jace the Mind Sculptor and Umazawa's Jite. Jite is best in like a low curve creature deck, like either yeah. mono red or like mono white with some Armageddon's or like white black with some disruption, which doesn't look like we're headed towards based on our first few picks. So I think that would lead me to settle on just a, like a pretty easy Jace the Mind Sculptor here. And like I said, really wanting to pick up blue green duels. Like for a channel Jace type deck. Yeah. I also like that Jace, I mean, Jace fourth seems a little ridiculous to me. It seems pretty late for how strong of a card it is. And I think based on what we have, right, we have like Jace, Channel, and Nahiri, which are all going very different decks, I think. But with what's in the pack, like there's a wildfire, so maybe that wheels and we can be some sort of like Jeskai, Manor Rocks, Planeswalker deck or there's a smokestack in the pack which doesn't really go with what we have but like if it wheels like there's there's things that you should be aware of that like might come around and you have like i think now sort of three different directions with some overlap which i I like to be early in a cube draft just because you're never going to be short on playables no never um yeah so I, i also grabbed the jace here pack one pick five um, you see a cryptic command. That's the one triple blue for the choose two, counter a spell, return target permanent to its owner's hand, tap all creatures your opponent's control, and draw a card. Uh, there's Day of Judgment, two white white destroy all creatures. There's a Thoughtseize, single black, target player reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it, that player discards that card, and you lose two life. There's a Pestermite, another piece of the Kiki Jiki Splinter Twin combo deck. There's Avenger of Zendikar, 5 green green for the 5-5 five, five elemental. Enters the battlefield, you put a 0-1 plant creature token into play for each land you control, and it has landfall when a land enters the battlefield under your control. All plants you control may get, uh, you may put a plus one plus one counter on each of them. Pretty sick combo with that Sylvan Caryatid you picked up, which is also a plant. <laughs> And there's a Genesis wave which popped out to me because we have Channel, which is triple green X. Uh, reveal the top X cards of your library. You may put any number of permanent cards with converted mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Then put all cards revealed this way that you didn't cast into your graveyard. Yeah, I have done some filthy things with Channel Genesis wave this iteration of the cube. Really? And I'd never done it before. And it was awesome. Tons of fun. So I would narrow this down. I think, I mean, Thoughtseize is the card I like the best out of the pack, just like on raw power level, but that's the only color we are not right now. So I think I'm going to steer away from that. Uh, Pestermite and Avenger stand out to me the most. Uh, mm-hmm. Pestermite, because I love the Kiki combo and I think it's really strong. But I think having the Sylvan carry added already and the, the channel really want to lean towards green ramp. So I think I would end on Avenger here and really hope to wheel Genesis Wave, which does happen. Yeah, that was a, th- a thought of mine. It's like, I don't feel like I need to take Genesis Wave here if like green is open. And if it's not, it should be a pretty big signal that I should get out of that deck. And I mean, just the Avenger Sylvan carry added synergy is so strong with them, you know, with carry added being a plant already that I thought I thought I should just take Avenger there. (laughs) Yeah. Moving on to pack on pick six is probably the last one we'll do. Maybe you've got um, a pretty weaker pack here. Avacyn's Pilgrim, single green for the one one that taps for white mana. Faith's Fetters, three and a white enchant permanent enters the battlefield you gain four life an enchanted permanent can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they are mana abilities there's vencer shaper savant two blue blue for the two two with flash when it enters the battlefield return target spell or permanent to its owner's hand uh braids cabal minion one of our favorite cards in the cube two black black for a two two at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player sacrifices an artifact creature or land so a sort of mini smokestacks effect 
And Chandra Pyromaster, uh, red planeswalker, two red red, uh, four loyalty, plus one, deal a damage to target opponent and a creature they control. That creature can't block this turn. Zero to sort of, it, that's the, that's the draw ability, right? The exile yeah. the top card of your library, you may mm-hmm. play it until end of turn. And minus seven, exile the top ten cards of your library, you can choose an instant or sorcery from among them and cast it three times without paying its mana cost. What do you think here? This pack is poop soup yeah not not a ton that lines up with any of the like three routes we have so far i would be trying to decide i think between venser and maybe like avison's pilgrim yeah i think i would settle on venser as just like the most versatile powerful card interesting i would think with three green cards in the pile you'd be you would lean more towards pilgrim i guess you didn't you didn't take carry at it i would still be hoping to be blue green good stuff i think i would have a delta yeah but and i think venser like i think avison's pilgrim is the worst one drop maybe with the exception of like that dude that adds black that does a damage to you Mm -hmm. but certainly like at the bottom tier of one mana rampers and venser is just super versatile and always good yeah or almost always good yeah i have a like i mean it's gonna sort of be what i'm about to say is going to counter what i took but the four drop slot in cube is i think like the easiest to clog because that's where cards start to get good oh i agree that's where like planeswalkers are and i think venser is a very strong card but definitely in the bottom of four drops that's interesting uh, that, that's what i think so like with a jace already then i'm like oh now i have this venser and I'm just like worried about where that that four drop slot is going to be so so early. But I mean, definitely think it's a powerful card. I think with the removal of Venser the Planeswalker that could like blink things, it got worse too. Interesting. I don't ever remember that Planeswalker. What? I don't even know that I know that exists. Yes, you do. Okay, Venser the Sojourner, three white blue. Oh yeah, I do. All right, plus two to blink something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I missed that card. Oh, I, I do too. That was that in card this cube. Was so good, and they took it out. That makes me so mad. Yeah, I totally remember that card. That wasn't in last year either, was it? No, it wasn't. They. T- I think that's when they took it out. Was last year. And they took Gargonon. They took everything from us. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I think Venser and Absence Pilgrim are right. I took a flyer here, again, on a deck that I, for similar reasons for taking Nahiri first, I had not drafted the Braids Smokestack deck yet, and I didn't feel like I was missing out on a ton in this pack, and so I was like, well, I can take Braids here, and if Smokestack wheels, like, I know it exists already... So if it wheels out of this pack, then I can move in on that deck. Or if it doesn't wheel, I'm not missing out on a bunch here. And I got rewarded pretty handsomely. Like, we got a bunch of good cards for that black-white deck. We got a Gideon Ally of Zendikar next. Monastery Mentor. I don't know how, but both Marsh Flats and Path to Exile, your pack one pick ones, wheeled. Whoa! Yeah. Followed that up with a Duress and a Danto Vanguard, and then, boy howdy, there's that smokestack. And I ended up getting a pretty sweet version of the deck. Not quite as sweet as the one that we got to pilot in the 18-hour stream that you had drafted prior, but uh, when that deck comes together, it is really fun and really powerful, I think. Yeah, you 3-0'd with this deck, didn't you? I did, yeah. Played a really grindy match 3 against a reanimator deck, and in game 3 of match 3, ground them down to zero permanence nice get that achievement on lock yeah for sure for sure um sweet well hopefully you guys are able to follow that i know it's a lot of of text of cards if you're not familiar with them but really wanted to give you an idea about how we navigate uh, a cube draft yeah and you've still got if you haven't made the decision to like try one out yet you've still got 15 days two weeks yeah hop in give it a shot that feels so good two more weeks of cube oh yeah i'm so happy All right, so to extend the cube segment of the show, I wanted to talk about some cards that have have stood out this iteration. They always sort of like swap in some new cards or maybe because of cards that have been swapped in, other cards become more powerful, but some cards I've been super impressed by. Usually it feels like they are just jamming in cards from the newest sets without like thinking about them. And this time around, I've been really impressed with a lot of the additions from Ixalan and, and Amonkhet block, specifically Scarab God and Hostage Taker. Surprise, surprise, like cards that are bombs in standard or bombs in limited are very good in cube. Um, and Hostage Taker especially has like really impressed me with being able to steal artifacts. I, I imagine it might be less good in non-powered cube, but in this cube, it feels brutal when your opponent casts it. Yes, I agree. Um, and you sort of turned me on to these as well, but all the hand disruption creatures, Kitesail Freebooter, uh, Mesmeric Fiend, Brain Maggot, Maggot, Tide Hollow Sculler, all of those creatures that when they enter the battlefield, you look at your opponent's hand and you can grab a card from them, or uh, Kitesail Freebooter is the duress version of that, grab a non-creature spell from their hand, but... 
those cards have just been really, really strong, and I, I don't like it when my opponent drops them on turn two. Yeah, those have been my some of my favorite cards in cube for forever. Uh, like, when your opponent casts them, you just groan. And when you cast them, you feel great. When I first started my stream, Tide Hollow Sculler, like the art on Tide Hollow Sculler was the backdrop to my stream. Really? Yeah. Wow. Your boy Tide Hollow, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is maybe the second or third iteration of the cube where Leivold has been there. Uh, that was one of the cards we had in our roundtable discussion, but that's the one that sort of hoses draw sevens. And whenever you get targeted, you get to draw a card. And that card is just obscene. Yep. Really tough to cast, but if you could make it work, really, really busted. Yeah. Uh, I've also been impressed by a couple more additions. Those cards that you named all been very impressive. Uh, Search for Ascanta, the one in a blue for the enchantment that lets you like filter your draw step and put it into your graveyard. Yeah. And flips into Ascanta, the sunken ruin that lets you dig for non creatures spells that's been great in reanimator it feels like it slots very naturally into that deck and even just like as a value engine seems pretty good in blue white uh etc and hazard has been as we talked about like mono red when they cast that on turn four you're just dead probably and a couple new cards that i don't remember being impressed by are death right shaman the black green hybrid mana for the one two uh, known as the one mana planeswalker mm-hmm. so you can black exile black exiles instant or sorceries right right and somebody loses two life you can pay a green mana tap to exile a creature to gain two life and you can tap to exile a land from a graveyard to add a mana to your mana pool card's been super impressive and i think goes very well into a bug control deck like black blue green with leovold i've faced that deck a couple times and it was very very impressive i drafted it once and i 3-0'd with it so that was super cool to figure that out. And then I've been very impressed by Animate Dead and Necromancy this time around, and just Reanimator in general. I remember thinking of Reanimator as like a, a very fragile deck in Vintage mm-hmm. Cube, like a combo-y kind of all-in, like folded to a counterspell or a piece of discard. And it has seemed very robust. And I've wanted to play Animate Dead and Necromancy just as one-ofs, like not even in a Reanimator deck. Like just in a black deck? Yeah, just in a deck that has access to black mana. I've been very impressed by how resilient reanimator's been i've been consistently playing it in the finals my reanimator decks have done well yeah yeah i don't i don't remember that about vintage cube that's so funny i had the exact same feeling about reanimator from previous powered cubes like just felt like yeah it folds to a counter spell fo- folds to a single removal spell because like you're dumping a number of resources into getting your one big fatty into play and turns out that's pretty good still <laughs> it's felt great to me like this iteration of the cube. Yeah, I totally agree. But it, it doesn't feel like it's gained any pieces. I know. I don't know why it's, it feels so differently, but it really does. We also had a, a list of some cards we feel like have been underrated. I mean, uh, our, our boy Ryan Sack shouted a couple of these out on Twitter. Uh, Remand and Sheldock Isle feels like they've been going pretty late. I'm not sure what that's about. Like, Remand is so good. Yeah, that's one in a blue counter-target spell, uh, return it to its owner's hand, and draw a card. Like, it's just time, it's time walk, draw a card. Time so walk, good. draw a card, yeah. Um, I think people get hung up maybe on, like, the fact that it doesn't hard counter it, like, they get to do it, but it's, like, such a, such a brutal tempo play. And God forbid it's, like, countering something that your opponent has put some energy into doing, like they've cracked a Black Lotus or used a Ritual or a- anything like that. You know, it's a, it's a really, really strong card. We've been touting lands as high picks in cube from our crash course, from the round table, from our streams, like duels and fetches. Uh, so fetch lands are the ones that can find like the land types. So like Marshlats finds a plains or a swamp, and those can then fetch the dual lands, like the, the beta duels or the shock lands. So those are all really, really high picks, I think. Yep, I would agree. What else do you think is, is going too late? Balance, we're in madly in love with this card. It wheels. It should never wheel, I don't think. There should always be some deck that's got artifacts and planeswalkers that wants a balance in every draft pod. Uh, Skull Clamp has been wheeling at times. I think Skull Clamp is one of the best equipment in the cube, along with Jite and Sword of Body and Mind. Those in some order are the best three. You think all three of those are better than Batter Skull? Yes. I don't even think Batter Skull is in contention for me for anything. Huh. Okay. Batter Skull is like super dorky and expensive and replaceable in my experience. Oh man, I want to I want to get into some stuff with you here. <laughs> it's a hard stance, yeah. We probably don't have time, but <laughs> we probably don't have time because because you love Worm Coil Engine and those cards I think fit similar roles to me. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we don't have time. We'll you'll ne- we'll never hear this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just what we already talked about: a mesmeric fiend, tide hollow skull, or brain maggot. Those cards continually overperform uh, and continue to wheel, and I don't think they should. And then draw sevens just let you do some of the most busted stuff in the cube. And I think people feel like they want to have cards that combo well with draw sevens before they take them. Like they right. want to have a fast bond or they want to have like moxes or whatever. And it doesn't work that way. You've got to take the draw sevens highly 
uh, and just trust that the stuff that's going to be good with them will come because it will. There's so many cards in Vintage Cube that are good with draw sevens. Right. There's like only four draw sevens. Maybe there's five. I think I think there's only four. So like if you see one, you got to take it. Like all the other stuff is plentiful. The the, the mana rocks. Uh, maybe you'll be in storm. Like maybe you get a fast bond. But even if you're not in like a gross combo deck, you can probably find a situation or draft a deck where you have more fast mana than your opponent. And so you're drawing a couple more cards than they are. And when you get to cast a draw seven on turn one, like do something gross, like, I don't know, mana crypt land, something like that. You like are just miles ahead of your opponent. Or fast bond, land, 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 time twister, like you did several times yeah, <laughs> during oh the 18 God. hour stream. That was gross. <laughs> but but also they make your mulligans so much better too. Like yeah. when you have a couple of draw sevens in your deck, you feel so much better about mulliganing because you know that you're getting another shot at seeing a draw seven when you go down to six or go down to five. And then it's going to make your mulligan not as punishing. They're really good cards. Yep. Uh, a few overrated cards in Cube. Uh, we have a contentious one here. I think Ancient Tomb is slightly overrated uh, I, in the Vintage I Cube. just can't even with you. In the show notes, I wrote, I saw that and I wrote, honestly, how dare you? You would probably have that on the underrated list, wouldn't you? I, I think it's just rated. I think it's, I don't think, I mean, I guess it's, I think it's underrated by you, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's just quite rated. Like, I don't ever see it go late and I'm, when it wheels, I'm not surprised. Like, I just think it's a really strong card. I think being able to go turn one Signet in this format is so strong. Being able to go like Landmock Signet or Ancient Tomb Signet is one of the strongest starts you can have. Yeah, I think it's very good. I just don't think it goes in every deck. That would be my... My contention. Oh, I agree with that. I've cut Ancient Tomb before. I think, like, you can have color commitments or whatever, or not want to lose a bunch of life if you have, like, other things that lose life for you. So, and then Chrome Mox and Mox Diamond. Chrome Mox being the one where you have to imprint a card and then tap to add mana of any color. And Mox Diamond, you have to discard a land when it comes into play, and then it taps to add one mana of any color. I have a hard and fast rule about those two cards. I only put them in my deck if I have draw sevens. Or, or lots of card draw. Other than that, they've just consistently underperformed for me over the years, and I've kind of made that rule for myself the hard way. I would like to make one caveat. I think Mox Diamond can go in a deck that has Crucible of Worlds as well, Ooh, because yeah. you discard the land so you can replay it. And Chrome Mox, I think, is worse in Vintage Cube because so many decks where it goes in have a critical mass of artifacts, and you cannot imprint an artifact on this. So yes. like so often I'm like, ooh, Sphinx of the Steel Wind. This will tap for white, blue, black. Nope. That's an artifact. <laughs> So like this Chrome Mox, sometimes you don't have as many options as you think you do. Yeah. And then another one, the last one here is Consecrated Sphinx, the four blue blue for the four six flyer. And whenever your opponent draws a card, you get the option to draw two cards. Uh, this card's busted, but like it just never survives. It dies to everything in the Vintage Cube, dies to Necrotol, any, any piece of removal almost that your opponent has kills Consecrated Sphinx. So I think it's so rare that you untap with it that I don't think it's a bomb. Yeah. Like I'm never cutting it from a blue deck that can cast it, but I don't think it's a super high pick. Yeah, like it goes from being one of like the most busted, like maybe top 10, top 20 cards in Legacy Cube to I think much, much worse in, in this powered cube. Yeah, just kind of middle of the road in the powered cube. Well, we could talk about cube forever, for 18 hours even, but we want to give Ixalan a proper send off here uh, as we will be doing our Rivals of Ixalan common and uncommon set review next week. So let's talk about this format. This has sort of been a pretty contentious format among Magic players. I think a lot of people, as we've said, have written this format off early. I think a lot of pros think it's like the worst limited format ever, the worst limited format in a long time. And that has not been our experience, yeah? No, I've really enjoyed the format, and I think I've learned a ton from this format. Much more so even than I learned, like, I enjoyed drafting Hour of Devastation a lot more, but I think I learned a lot more and improved as a drafter a lot more drafting Ixalan. I totally, that's a really good point. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I enjoyed Hour more, but I think it didn't teach me anything about drafting. I think one of the one of the biggest things that came came from that was our beard breakthrough mm -hmm. uh, when, we, when we ran that episode. Do you want to recap that for everybody? Yeah, so, I mean, me especially, I'd been struggling in the format. I went through, like, a, a pretty dry patch of, like, I think it was maybe 30 drafts, I want to say, with, like, four trophies in, in there, maybe. Like, uh, a lot of two ones, a lot of one twos, and I was really struggling. And uh, I remember one day, like, Ryan Sachs came into my Twitch chat, and he just sort of like took the reins. Like I, he was like, Oh, I'm really like doing well in this format. And I was like, what are you doing that I'm not? And so we just like, I started drafting and I was like, this is the card I want to take. And then he would almost certainly have a different thing. And I would just be like, that seems crazy to me, but I'm going to take it and see what happens. 
And the thing that I took away from that was that I was drafting the format like I was drafting any other limited format, like this sort of like bread acronym that I feel like you learn early in limited, which is sort of a a way to take cards in order, bombs, removal, evasion, aggro, and dregs is how I learned it. Really? I learned it as abilities and dudes. Oh, abilities and dudes. I mean, I think it's sort of a similar idea what is dregs oh like, like the like last the pick? yeah oh, okay that's interesting so but you know valuing bombs and then valuing answers to bombs and then valuing evasive creatures over other things um so the the, the bre of, of bread we can agree on um <laughs> but that isn't really how ixalan works because the power level is so flat there's also the part of this format that is difficult which is The train wreck possibilities are much higher in a tribal format because if you sort of stick to a tribe early and then find that that's not open, you're going to not make playables probably, or the power level of your deck is going to be fairly low. So those two things, like figuring out tweaking bread and that taking those like removal spells weren't great because they were so clunky and the creature power level was so flat, we needed to switch that. And the fact that one with the wind specifically from the enchantment side and pirates cutlass from the equipment side were so strong and just like buffed up any creatures and then made them outclass other creatures on the battlefield made those higher picks than they normally would be i mean we're so used to as you've said before we like grew up on limited resources we're so used to auras are bad enchantments are bad you're gonna get two for one but that's not really the case in this format no writing a one with a wind on a one drop or a two drop to victory with your opponent never having removal was very common and or blanking like a single removal spell with a dive down. Yeah, right. Dive down became a card that I think we, most people wrote off in set reviews to being like, oh, you just need this in every blue deck because every blue deck you have should have one with the wind, probably because it's the best blue common. And you just your opponent has one shot, right? They 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 have the Hamilton. They're they're not throwing away their shot, but they do. They just like go to contract killing it, and you're like, nope, dive down. Trade one mana for five mana, you lose. Yep. And I think one of the other big misconceptions about this format, uh, at least in my opinion, was that there were only four decks to draft. Like Blue Green Merfolk, White Black Vampires, Grixis Pirates, and or Naya Dinos. Like, I think the format was, if you did more than 25 drafts or whatever, I think you found that the format was like much, much, much deeper than that. And that there were niche archetypes, not even niche archetypes, like just blue-white commons was like a great deck. Like Bishop Soldier, Territorial Hammer Skulls, Pious Interdictions, One with the Winds. Water Trap Water Weavers, trap like, yeah. that was a deck. Like, if you drafted the best blue and white commons, it was a deck, and it was very, very good. And Black Green Explorer, I don't even think it ended up being, like, a niche deck. I think Black Green was just one of the best, like, dirtle color pairs uh, and was a very real deck that, like, probably a seat per draft was supposed to be drafting some flavor of. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you don't got to convince me that people should have been dirtling in this format then. <laughs> I think that's the other thing. So, like... I think that was the real breakthrough for for our for, the format, and I think the beard episode was sort of a, a turning point for us. Like it was, I think us maybe carving out uh, the format. I mean, really packaging a lot of stuff that we had heard from Ryan and Ed dude about how how they were succeeding and and putting it in sort of like nice neat terms, but also figuring out the dirtle aspect of this format was something that like I'd never done before. Like I just sort of was getting frustrated with aggro, like losing with red, white and not having a lot of agency over my, my draws or my deck building. And I started to like see how much you could do with like blue or green based multicolor control. And while I think that deck is like not as good as I wish it was, I definitely think it's something to be aware of. And that if everyone at your table is drafting an aggro deck, like you can get a pretty sweet, very viable control deck with a lot of powerful spells that people aren't casting because they don't want their curve to be higher than four CMC or whatever. Yeah. You have uh, learning how to draft tribal sets as a big breakthrough here. Well, can you talk to that? Yeah, I think I think there was a, a ton of really good takeaways for me here. I was really hesitant coming into the format about drafting tribal sets because I have not been very good at drafting them historically. Like those are the sets I've been the worst at, have enjoyed the least. And it, Ixalan started off that way for me as kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, you know, I drafted, I train wrecked a few times, and then I had like some good decks that just lost to like Hostage Taker and Hwatli. Like I played against some of the best cards in the set in my first five or six drafts. And I just remember feeling like terrible. Like we're going to have to do a podcast about this set for like the next three months. Like I hate it already. I'm going to lose a bunch. Like what am I going to do? And then just talking with you and with Ryan and everybody else, I mean, we keep saying it, but 
just learning how to draft this format in a way to set me up for success was like a big breakthrough for me. So the idea that like it was okay and maybe even probably beneficial to be in multiple colors, like in your first four or five picks, like to have like a very archetype specific card in different archetypes in the first three picks was probably the right place to be as opposed to like maybe having three vampires cards or three merfolk cards or something um and just learning that like maybe and this was kind of something i decided for myself that i wanted to avoid green because once we like had established early on that like green really was only good if you were merfolk that was super committing so essentially if you were taking green merfolk cards you were taking green blue cards and then if you had to abandon them it was a disaster because it was a really hard to make a deck like out of other green color pairs that was really good. Uh, like red green dinosaurs wasn't great. Green black was kind of at the time we hadn't really explored Dirtle. Ah, explored anyone? Oh, ho, ho, I didn't even try that. <laughs> <laughs> Pun not intended. And green white kind of just had felt unplayable most of the format to me until the very, very end. So just like learning all of that and like we hadn't really talked about drafting with preferences like we did on the last episode with Ryan, but that was really what what I was doing, right? I was setting myself up with the highest possible chance to end up in a good aggressive beard style deck Uh, and learning how to do that was a big, a big leap for me uh, in drafting. I think another big uh, takeaway from this format for me is like how we evaluate cards and then how those uh, evaluations change and maybe influence our pick orders. So I thought it would be cool to take a look back at where we thought the top commons were at the end of our first like look into the format episode 14. This is our first episode after the common and uncommon set review and our rare and mythic rare set review. Maybe you could run down for everybody where we thought the commons were for each color. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we had uh, we had white, we had hammer skull first interdiction second and bishop soldier third which is about i think where where we're gonna end up here at the end of the format blue is really interesting man i remember our our set review of of blue very vividly because you were pretty down on the color and i was like oh no it's gonna be like blue's aggressive like look at all these like cheap creatures and tempo creatures but i also had like storm sculptor as number three like a dummy so we had water trap weaver first shaper apprentice second and run aground third um not quite where we're gonna end up as you see no one with the wind in sight uh black vanquish the week first contract killing second and skullduggery third so valuing that removal in various forms red we had fire cannon blast first Stormfleet pyromancer second and Oof. unfriendly fire third ouch 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 there's a pretty big miss there on uh on where red wanted to be as we'll see and green we had tashana's wayfinder first Deep Root Warrior second, and oh boy, Pounce third. Ouch, again. But I, in my defense, I wanted to get that off the top three green commons, the whole format. You did, in your defense, but it was still there in uh, in episode one of, of post-set review. Um, and we sort of ranked the top five commons overall as Vanquish, Territorial Hammer Skull, Fire Cannon Blast, Water Trap Weaver, and Interdiction fifth. Yeah, those top five commons, we have some of them in there that are still in there. Mm-hmm. But a, a big thing for me, looking back at that first episode, I also had a note in there uh, about commons that have impressed and overperformed. And I'm just going to run through like that list. So the list is Vampire Zeal, One with the Wind, March of the Drown, Mark of the Vampire, Skullduggery, Deadeye Tormentor, Headstrong Brute, Thrash of Raptors, Jade Guardian, Pirate's Cutlass. So we've got a lot of cards on that list that like belong in the beard philosophy. Yeah. One with the wind, Mark of the Vampire, Pirate's Cutlass, all three of those in the E enhancements of beard. And then like the cheap combat tricks, Vampire Zeal, Skullduggery. I'd identified that those were overperforming uh, and were doing be- maybe better than Ruble, maybe not. I don't remember what was in my head at the time, but this list is super interesting. Like this list lines up exactly with the beard philosophy. What I didn't do was start to pick these cards higher for some reason. Like we didn't, we didn't move up one with the wind. Like I had identified that it was impressing me but we didn't move it into our blue top comments or pirates cutlass. Like I still wasn't picking two weeks into the format or a week into the format, whenever this was, I wasn't picking pirates cutlass higher. Um, So after talking with Ryan last week, you know, about like evaluating cards initially in a set, I think a big takeaway for me for this format is that if I think cards are doing better than I thought they were going to initially, I need to be willing to change my pick orders more quickly, maybe to experiment and find out if those cards actually are as good as they seem to have been performing in games, either for me or for my opponent. And I think a lot of like we identified earlier that these cards were good, but maybe like took talking with Ryan and Sasha to like actually lead to the beard episode, which was like maybe three, two weeks later than this. It was episode 18, right? Three weeks later. Yeah. And there's, I think you, you have it written down to 17 or I think it's 17. Yeah. But yeah, three episodes later. So 
just being more willing to trust what cards I've identified are playing well in games. Yeah, that's a really, really good takeaway. I think there's there's a lot, at least for, for us as as players and, and drafters, to take away from this format in terms of, of what has helped us grow as Magic players. Like the Beard philosophy, mildly figuring out Dirtle Town, learning how to draft tribal sets, which I think one of the main things about that, learning how to draft tribal sets, is... What we've identified as like staying super open in the first few picks. You talked about that as maybe being in multiple colors. I think there's also something to be said about not taking tribal cards, like taking cards that are just going to be good in whatever deck. Like Hammer Skull is going to go in any white deck. Bishop Soldier going to go in any, any white deck. One with the Wind going to go in any blue deck. I feel like there's been a lot thrown around about One with the Wind being like just a good Merfolk card. No, it's going. it's like a deck in and of itself. And I think the concept of like picks, looking at picks four, five, and six as like signal points like yeah. when you see a gold card to move in that really helped me a lot too like really identifying that section of the draft and maybe it'll be different for other future tribal sets but being willing to like set aside a portion of the draft where okay i'm really going to look at these cards as big signals and maybe look to move into those archetypes and get rewarded yeah absolutely so i think we want to close out the format by looking at at the top commons and, and where we ended up and you'll see that it's pretty well aligned with the beard philosophy uh, first and foremost, Pirate's Cutlass. Best common overall. Yep, think so. Yeah, I mean, we just really kept moving this up and up and up, and then I think this sort of just generally became regarded as the best common in the format. It's going to go in almost any, if not any, deck you draft. It keeps you the most open. It's going to enhance your creatures so that they outclass other creatures of, of similar or greater CMC. Um, really, really strong card here. In white, I think we're going to land on Hammer Skull first, Bishop Soldier, a very, very close second, and Pious Interdiction, third. That makes sense to me. Yeah. What about blue? Blue, we've got one with the wind, number one. Water Trap Weaver, number two, and a nod to Dirtle in number three, Sailor of Means. Yeah, that feels right. I, I, like, I like my boy Sailor of Means. In red, again, favoring the aggressive two drops, Fathom Fleet Firebrand, first, and Tillinali's Knight, second. And Fire Cannon Blast, third. Now, Fire Cannon Blast is, is still a fine removal spell, but to be able to have it scale up for any CMC, you have to have raid, right? You have to be able to attack to, to kill anything of, of significance with it. Otherwise, you're probably just killing a two-drop with it. And we have a little honorable mention here to Thrash of Raptors. I think it wasn't until really the end of the format that I realized how highly I should be taking that card in, in red aggressive decks. Yeah, it's just very good. Black, these are all like super, super close, but we got to put them in an order. Uh, number one, Vanquish the Weak. Number two, Skullduggery and Skymarch Bloodletter tied. And then in the number three slot, Contract Killing. All four of those, I think, are very interchangeable and very, very good. Yeah, for sure. I think it like, depends on what you already have in your pile, what kind of deck you're drafting. Like, you know, in Dirtle decks, you're taking Contract Killing highly. In Vampire decks, you might be taking Bloodletter above everything. It's really tough to know. Those cards are all, I think, really flattened out. Uh, towards the end of the format. And then green, a nod to enhancements, and a nod to, if you're green, you probably want to be Merfolk. River Herald's Boon first, Deep Root Warrior second, and Tashana's Wayfinder third. Yeah, and then some top common rankings overall. Number one, actually, maybe we should go five to one. Yeah, count them down, baby. Make it exciting. <laughs> Number five, we've got Pious Interdiction. Number four, Bishop Soldier. Number three, Territorial Hammer Skull. All three of our top three white commons cracked the top five commons overall. Number two, one with the wind. And number one, no surprise, Pirate's Cutlass. Yeah. Enhancement, enhancement, aggro, aggro, removal. Yeah. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is why blue-white is one of the best decks in the format. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Bishop Soldier, Hammer Skull, and one with the wind are brutal cards together. All right. Ready to say farewell to Ixalan. Yeah, goodbye, Ixalan. You will be... Well, we're not going to say goodbye, goodbye. I mean, I we're going to be drafting true. a pack of it still with rivals. I can't wait to have the episode. I really liked that in our Devastation, the episode where we like saw what changed with Amonkhet cards. I'm excited to see how the Ixalan cards change with the addition of rivals coming in. Yeah, I am as well. So uh, as it is the, our last episode of 2017, this will probably be coming uh, out on or just after uh, the 1st of January in 2018. I wanted to take a look back at some of the things for, for myself as a, a streamer and some of the things for the podcast. 
that really st- stood out. I, I always get pretty like reflective towards the end of the year. I don't know about you, um, but just sort of think about like where I was at the beginning of the year and where I am now and, and what I've accomplished. And, uh, and one of the biggest things from, for that for me is the growth of my stream. I mean, when I really started like doing this, I don't know, more seriously, like setting an alarm to do it or like really carving out time to, to grow my stream when, you know, there's no monetary gain or anything. You're just like sinking time into this. Um, back in March, you know, I had like a bit of a follower boom there. I remember like having just cracking like 400 followers in, in April, I think it was, and then doubling that by the end of the month. And then when they introduced the affiliate program, hitting affiliate status, getting people like subscribing to my channel, even before I was partnered, that was incredible. Uh, having some like celeb sightings in my channel, like Chris Pakula randomly found my stream. And I remember that was the, he like tweeted about it. And that was one of the first time that was the first time that I got followers for my stream while I wasn't streaming. Streaming, Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's like a, when, when you get that first thing, it, I for me, that was like really surprising. I was like, wait, why would anyone do this? Why is anyone following my stream when I'm not even doing it? Amaz, legendary Hearthstone streamer, has popped into my stream from time to time. Um, so those sort of like celeb sightings were very cool for me. I don't know, like some validation. And then, I mean, growing it to, to getting partnered in September was amazing. And that is a was a, a dream of mine for many years. Like I started streaming over three years ago, um, but only started really doing it consistently this year as like making it a goal. And getting to achieve that goal was was really awesome. I mean, it's not much different than affiliate ship now, but it uh it still is pretty sweet to see that that check mark. Yeah, that purple check mark is real good. And I don't know how like back to celeb sightings, you just play it off like so cool when Chris or like Amaz <laughs> or somebody comes into your stream and I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. They're here. I can't believe they're here. It's so cool. <laughs> like <laughs> super sweet. And I think it's also like I would when I think about the year in terms of my like magic obsession, I think about the stream and I think about the podcast. And again, doing a magic podcast has been something I've wanted to do for a long time and didn't quite know like how, how it would happen. Like, what do I have that's different to offer to the community than other limited podcasts and like who would produce it and whatever. And I think just like finding you through Twitch and growing this show has been like one of the things I am most proud of from this year. Like this, the show is just, great it's really fun to get to to focus on seeing the growth of it seeing it featured on dailymtg.com out of the blue last week yeah that was awesome incredible like what a huge surprise like i would never have thought that in a million years no yeah i i just texted my whole family like as soon as because <laughs> my brothers all play magic so i like sent them a text it was unbelievable super cool we both went to our first gps this year we we sort of did our like first foray into I don't know, professional or high stakes paper magic. And I thought that was a big win. Like I, you know, we didn't, I didn't do very well in it, but I went with two complete strangers that I met through Twitch, which is something I'll get to in a bit. Um, but that as an experience and also sort of spurred me on to getting in touch with Marshall and Rich Hagen and trying to, uh, you know, get a, a foot in the door for for potentially being on, on the coverage team somewhere down the line, which is another goal of mine that now doesn't feel so crazy. Like now that I've like made contact with them and, and have a, a rapport and and a point of reference. And, and now that my stream is partnered and now that I have a podcast, I feel like I'm a very active member of the community and, and all that stuff now doesn't feel so pipe dreamy, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, super cool. And I, I would echo the first GP thing. Very cool to go to GP Indy uh, and compete. And I'm going to go do that again in January with my brothers uh, for yes. the, the team GP. And it's going to be super awesome. We're going to be team bands with brothers. And I hope we crush it. And if not, we're certainly going to have a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, I mean, you guys will just then go crush a bunch of side events. Yeah, and they both live in Indy, so it'll be it'll be awesome. Or no, one of them lives in Indy, rather. They don't oh, so you live in Indy anymore. Free, free housing? Uh, yeah, free housing. That's gonna clutch. Going to be decent. Nice. Another thing, like getting the stream sponsored and appearing in streamer showdowns were two things that like Twitch chat helped me achieve like i was just sort of spitballing like well how, how do i do this and someone was like well here's lee sharp's contact info like why don't you tweet at him or whatever and that's how i got invited to do the streamer showdowns which i got to participate in a number of times this year which were 
they're really fun to get to do. And getting sponsored was another thing that people were like, well, why don't you just like contact places X, Y, and Z? And that's how I got my GoatBot sponsorship, which is, you know, it's not a ton, but it every little bit helps when you're doing this like not really financially sustainable thing for a lot of your time. So every, every, every little bit really helps. And I've just sort of blown away by the generosity of people in the magic community in general, or like the, the friendships that you make in general, you know, like meeting, meeting you or meeting the people who live in Pittsburgh, like Jamie and Stunlock and the generosity of people in Twitch to make things for you. Like, you know, a big shout out to uh, Sweeks, who made the art for like my stream, for your stream, for the logo art for the podcast, our emotes. Like he's just such a legend and he's helped out a lot of other streams as well. Uh, schmuck of all trades on twitter uh he made my my avatar art that i use basically everywhere i can he also did this like eight nights of hanukkah art token for each uh member of the magic community that he wanted to shout out and both you and i made the cut and our tokens are complete gas yeah super cool salty pretzels who made the intro and outro music for the show we shout them out every week and rightfully so the music is awesome like our show is so sweet because of it ben loves to hear it every time he finishes editing each show <laughs> I do every time. MMP is a member of my uh, Twitch chat and uh, a sub. He made this really awesome like trailer video as a compilation of a bunch of clips. Like all these people just sort of doing things out of kindness and out of just generosity. And like, I want to give something back is it blows me away every time. I I just, I don't, I can't really like fathom that community that is made from a bunch of people that I've never met. Right. That just love this game and like, like yeah. the thing and like what you do like the like what you do enough to like do something nice for you like under no obligation or like self-interest or whatever 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 like they just are good people and want to do something cool because they think you're doing something cool like it's just a great feeling of validation and community yeah exactly what you said so i would echo that huge shout out to all those people speak schmuck of all trades salty pretzels mmp and just everybody in the magic community is awesome and has been a blast to be a part of yeah like uh, unbelievable i i just sort of uh don't want to like jinx anything but it feels like 2018 just has to be even better like if like the way things are going Things have been so cool and so great in terms of the growth of the show and the growth of our streams that I'm really looking forward to whatever 2018 has in store for us in terms of our magic content creation. I am absolutely looking forward to it as well, and I'm very thankful to have met you and all the people I've met through Twitch. Yeah, likewise, buddy. I mean, this, yeah, the, the podcast is a dream come true, and listeners know that I am a bum, and but I was upfront about my bumsmanship <laughs> up front, you know? I was, I was very clear about that. But the show would not happen without Ben. Like, it just, like, would not because he makes it. I blabber on for an hour every week, and then he makes that sound coherent, and he puts music to it, and he uploads it, and all of that would not happen without you and you are just so i mean you're more than integral to the show you are the reason it happened so like thank you so much for for giving me this opportunity oh yeah no problem thanks and i same we couldn't do it without you tag team effort well before we get too sappy uh, happy new year everybody we love you all hope you all ring in 2018 with uh, a lot of great festivities and we're gonna be back next week with our common and uncommon set review of rivals of ixalan i can't believe it so can't believe it yeah. A reminder, we've still got our Vintage Cube treasure hunt going on January 15th, the end date for that. If you complete all five, you get entered into a giveaway for a complete draft set. Those achievements, as a reminder, are win the game with your opponent controlling no permanence, check, infinite loop time walk, still on the to-do list, mind slaver lock your opponent, check, win the game with storm count 15 plus, you've got that checked off. I tried to check. mooch off you on our 18-hour stream. I wouldn't have it. I didn't have it. And the last one, turn to an Eldrazi, check, double check, and I've gotten four spiked trying to do that. Feels bad, man. <laughs> four spiked off of what? Channel? Uh, yeah, my channel got four spiked. Oh, because gross. I played, because instead of playing Llanowar Elves, I played, uh, what's his face? The soul ring on a stick. Draga tree speaker. Oh, right. Oh, I saw that clip. I saw that yeah. clip. Oh, brutal. so brutal. Yeah, you you just get four, four spiked and mana tithe. I feel like you like wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, like <laughs> screaming mana tithe or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, send us those screenshots or anything else. You do something sweet in cube, take a screenshot of it. Post it to Twitter. Tweet at us. I am at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. We also have our own podcast account at Lords of Limited. Come spam our Twitch chats. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. I have a YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash C slash Lord Tupperware. Some new content up there almost every week. Um, please, please, please come 
come at us there. If you got any feedback about the show or questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for making this year very, very memorable, and we'll catch you next year for another episode of Lords of the Limited. See you in 2018, boys and girls. 